Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Don't Let It Go Unheard. This is the May 23rd show, and this is the show where we discuss news and politics from the perspective of Ayn Rand's philosophy, Objectivism. I'm your host, Amy Peekoff, and as you see, I was playing with a little bit of new intro music, and it was not behaving exactly how I would expect. Usually it kind of fades off and doesn't just cut off suddenly at the end, so we're going to have to play with that a little bit. I also, in playing with the new intro music, didn't open up the chat room till just now, so chat room is now open. You can try again and join me there, please, if you would. Here are the topics I would like to discuss with you, and again, like I've done before, complete with alliteration for our topics today. Immigration, we're going to discuss the bill that just went through and passed the Senate and supposedly, according to Boehner, is going to be dead on arrival in the House. Internal revenue, which means we're going to discuss both the ongoing scandal and also the issue of hauling Apple before a Senate committee this week about the taxes that it did or did not pay. And finally, idiocy. You're not going to believe this one, and I'll tell you more when we get there. If you would like to join in live, you can call 760-888-5817. Again, that's 760-888-5817. And as I said, also join here in the chat room. Stephanie says, thank you for opening the chat room. Seriously, I was playing with all these MP3s that I uploaded, including the new intro music, and forgot to open the chat room until just before the show started. So sorry about that, people. Uh, One quick thing before we dive in, this is the Memorial Day weekend show, so I just want to take a second to thank all of our men and women in uniform who, to the extent, of course, that our government lets them with our rules of engagement, etc., these people do their best to protect our freedom, and we are all grateful for that. So our thanks go out to you. Uh, One program announcement as well. Pretty exciting. You guys know that I did a guest host day for Tammy Bruce last week. I think it was last Thursday, I believe. And it turns out she is going to be going out of the country on a trip for a little bit. And it's about two weeks stint. And I'm going to guest host, I think, for about six days of the time that she's gone. What I do know is that the first day that I'm going to guest host for her is next Thursday, May 30th. So... Do tune in. Her show is from 10 a.m. to noon Pacific time. That is from 1 p.m. to, what is it? 1 p.m. to 3 p.m. Hello. Um, Eastern time. Yeah, I can add. I really can. But uh, anyway, again, like I said before, Tammy Bruce has a subscription 
supported radio show. It's completely subscriber supported. And so what she does is she makes live shows available for free to whoever can listen, but the podcast, the recorded podcasts are available only to her subscribers. But like before, she has given me permission to also send an MP3 podcast to people who support my show. So if you do contribute to the show, which you can do at my blog, don'tletitgo.com, then that will get you a link to an MP3 that you can download after each of the shows that I guest host for Tammy. And like I said, I think there's going to be about six of those. Okay? So why don't we go ahead and dive in? Like I said, the first thing that we were going to discuss is immigration. And as many of you know, they were going to discuss, uh, or excuse me, they have been considering before the Senate an immigration bill which I believe went ahead and passed without any amendments whatsoever. And what I want to do first is play for you a clip of Ted Cruz discussing that immigration bill, and then we'll discuss. So this is probably about five minutes or so, but it's worthwhile. So listen here. At the outset of this hearing, uh, I expressed my hope and desire that this markup would prove a productive endeavor to improve this bill. And, and I noted at the time that the majority had the votes, that if each of the Democrats in the majority, along with the members of the Gang of Eight on the Republican side, voted as a block, that the majority had the ability to reject substantive amendments improving this bill. And, and I will note with regret that, that, that I believe that's what has, what has happened, and, and, and I find that genuinely disappointing. I want common sense immigration reform to pass. I think our immigration system is broken. I think there are large bipartisan majorities in this country that want common sense immigration reform to pass. And this bill, in my view, has two major problems. Number one, it doesn't fix the problem. It doesn't stop illegal immigration. If anything, it may make the problem worse by not securing the border and by incentivizing future illegal immigration, which means human tragedies would flow as a direct result if this bill were to become law. But number two, I believe in its current form, this bill is not likely to become law. It may well have the votes to pass the Senate, but I do not believe this bill will pass the House of Representatives or become law, and I would view that as a terrible outcome if Congress did not actually fix the problem. I would note the last time the Senate considered immigration reform, that was the outcome. And indeed, President Obama played a role in helping kill immigration reform in 2007. And I believe it is the unwillingness to accept significant improvements that would solve the problem that are setting this bill up for defeat as well. In the course of this markup, I've introduced five amendments that were designed to improve the bill, and in particular to put it in a situation where it would actually fix the problem. First of all, I introduced an amendment to actually secure the border. One of the greatest failings of this bill is, in my opinion, it is almost utterly toothless with respect to the border. It has unmeasurable subjective metrics that are entrusted to the Secretary of Homeland Security, Janet Napolitano, Rather than putting real assets on the ground, the amendment I introduced would have tripled the U.S. Border Patrol, would have increased fourfold the helicopters and fixed-wing assets, would have put an entry-exit system and a biometric system in place, 
would have insisted on fixing the problem which large bipartisan majorities of Americans want. Unfortunately, every Democrat on this committee voted against putting real teeth in border security. I introduced two amendments to improve legal immigration, one to increase high-skilled temporary workers five-fold, from 65,000 to 325,000, because they're pro-growth, they would strengthen our economy and increase jobs. Unfortunately, every Democrat on this committee voted against increasing high-skilled immigration and voted instead to stay with the lower limits in this bill that I think are not sufficient to strengthen our economy. The Second Amendment would have doubled legal immigration, increased employment-based immigration, increased family-based immigration, simplified the system, and again, every Democrat on this committee voted against increasing legal immigration because I was told by my colleagues on the other side that a deal had been reached in closed-door negotiations with union leaders and more legal immigration was not acceptable, was not part of that deal. I think that's an unfortunate admission of, of how this bill was arrived, and I think it is unfortunate that we saw the votes we did. And finally, I think to work and fix the problem and to be able to pass, this bill should respect the rule of law by not creating a path to citizenship for those who are here illegally. In my opinion, the path to citizenship is unfair to the millions who have followed the rules, who have waited years or decades to come here legally. It undermines the rule of law, and I believe it makes it quite likely this bill would be defeated. And, and in response, my colleagues on the other side, I was informed that it, without the path to citizenship, there could be no reform at all. In other words, that we would not improve border security, we would not improve high-skilled immigration, we would not address anything to take the 11 million who are living in the shadows out of the shadows unless there were a path to citizenship. That is exactly the sort of absolutist position that doomed immigration reform in 2007. And I hope when this bill goes to the floor of the Senate that those who want immigration reform to pass, and I count myself among them, I want common sense immigration reform to pass, will look to bipartisan areas of cooperation to improve this bill and to fix the problem. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh Okay, so that was Ted Cruz on the bill and what he wanted to see in terms of amendment and changes to it. Uh, so a tool in the chat room is saying that the particular amendment that Ted Cruz discussed last, which is the uh, the amendment having to do with creating a path to citizenship. Or, oh, no, and he means the one pertaining to legal immigrants. Okay, the one pertaining to legal immigrants. Is that the one that he said failed because of the union intervention? And I'm going to ask a tool in the chat room to go ahead and respond to that. But as I said, feel free. If you have particular interest and information about this topic, call in at 760-888-5817, and we could have a good discussion back and forth here. But what I wanted to ask your opinion on and discuss here is what whether you agree that the amendments that Ted Cruz was discussing would be improvements. Do you believe that before we, for instance, increase legal immigration, that we should secure the borders, that we should make sure that those who come to this country do not have criminal records, do not plan to commit terrorist attacks against us, do not 
carry diseases, you know, all the basic things that you would want out of a, a legal immigrant population. We, we should secure the border so that we can screen people before they come in. So there's that. Uh, in, in terms of amendments to improve legal immigration, you could see those amendments that he proposed as starting to phase in open immigration, maybe very small, very wimpy steps towards that. Um, you know, one thing I would like to refer you to in terms of a good discussion of the arguments for open immigration, Harry Binswanger has a really nice essay at hblist.com. That's hblist.com, and it's on open immigration. If you Google Harry Binswanger immigration, you'll find it right away. His last name is B-I-N-S-W-A-N-G-E-R, and he discusses at the beginning that he believes uh, our country should be open to anybody who wants to move here so long as those people, again, are not criminals, they're not planning to be terrorists, uh, and they don't carry infectious diseases. So it should be completely open to them. And he makes the moral case that you know everybody has the same rights. A foreigner has just the same rights as us, so we should let them in. We shouldn't necessarily make them citizens, though. We should let them come here, live and have jobs and be productive, okay? So um, so it's not that he would think that you'd have to have a path to citizenship for illegals that are here necessarily. Now you might say the people who are here illegally should all be screened to see whether they satisfy this criteria and then go ahead and allow them to have some sort of a path to become citizens. But you don't have to make them citizens right away or even very soon all you would need to do is make them not have to hide all the time and let them be legal residents, not necessarily citizens. Um, in any event, he talks about the fact that it's moral to allow people in. Everybody has the same rights. Just the fact that you were born out of the United States doesn't mean that you don't have the right to freely associate with people and, and take jobs, et cetera, so come here. Uh, the moral is also the practical, though, he discusses. And in particular, I found interesting his discussion of economics, I don't know that it, this was so surprising, but he said, you know, so many people fear the economic consequences of open immigration. They fear losing their jobs to immigrants. And he says, I'm quoting from him now, he says, it is asked, won't the immigrants take our jobs? And the answer, he says, is yes, so that we can go on to better, higher paying jobs. And he says, basically, the protectionists believe that there's only a finite amount of work to be done. And they assume that if Americans don't get to do that work, then foreigners are going to do it and we'll have no, no jobs. But no, everybody who's being productive is going to create wealth and so more jobs will be created. So it's not a zero-sum game, so long as our government intervention doesn't make it that way, right? Uh, it is not a zero-sum game. But I, the thing that I found even more interesting, he's got a little section on welfare. He's got little you know, subheadings to different sections. And this is uh, Harry Binswanger on the issue of welfare and immigration. Quote, a popular misconception is that immigrants come here to get welfare. In fact, this is rarely immigrants' motive. It is true that the small minority of immigrants who come to get welfare do constitute a burden. But this issue has been rendered moot by the passage under the Clinton administration of the Personal Responsibility and Work Opportunity and Reconciliation Act, big old acronym, he says, which makes legal permanent residents ineligible for most forms of welfare for five years. He says, I support this kind of legislation, which should be enacted at the state level as well. He says, currently left-leaning states like California, 
where I live, uh, continue to throw tax money at immigrants and everyone else, end quote. Now, this was written in 2010, this essay by Ben Swinger. I assume that that particular piece of legislation is still in effect. Maybe it would be overridden by part of the Senate legislation and welfare benefits would be doled out to immigrants. That would be a sad thing because certainly we don't want to incentivize anybody that way and say, oh, yeah, come here and and let's go ahead and reward people who came here illegally with welfare benefits. Of course, Ben Swanger, like me, being an objectivist, being influenced by Ayn Rand, rejects all form of the welfare state. So it's not just that we shouldn't give benefits to immigrants, but we shouldn't be having welfare benefits for anybody. We, you know, government should not be about redistributing wealth to anyone, much less immigrants. Uh, but in terms of a step on the way to the right type of society, and of course to make sure that you're not incentivizing immigrants to come here to get welfare benefits, then this sort of legislation passed under the Clinton administration that Ben Swanger discusses, which wouldn't let welfare benefits be paid to legal permanent residents for at least five years, I think would be a good thing. Um, if you knew you couldn't get welfare benefits for five years, you knew you know you would come here and be productive. If you come here and you're productive, chances are you're going to want to continue because you're going to want to live the American dream. So I, I would say yes, for all of these things, I mean, I'm, I'm also in favor of open immigration. I do see the uh, Cruz Amendment of increasing certain forms of legal immigration as some sort of a step towards that direction. Of course, any politician's step is going to be very wimpy to us, even the better politicians like Cruz. But I found it especially interesting that he was in favor of doubling legal immigration overall not just the high-skilled workers, and that all of the Democrats voted against that. Why? Because of a deal with union leaders. Union leaders definitely buy into the economic argument that Ben Swanger addresses and rejects in the essay that I just read you there. Um, the deal with the union leaders, more immigration is not acceptable. They want to have a monopoly on these jobs that involve, I guess, you know, largely a, a large physical component. I, you know, I don't know. They, I guess they feel threatened by illegal immigrants who come here in terms of keeping their wages up, et cetera. But uh, then this issue of don't create a path to citizenship for illegals. You don't necessarily have to give them a path to citizenship in order to allow them to come here legally and work. If citizenship is going to entail the ability to have the welfare benefits, that might also be an issue. And so this, this idea of giving citizenship to illegals and therefore giving them a whole bunch of welfare benefits, especially today in our economy, could be a, a big issue. But, the, you know, the thing that lets you know that as good as Ted Cruz is, that he's a politician, is his discussion of the word absolute, absolutist. Right, He says those people who insist on having a path to citizenship in the bill that they're going to vote for and support, those people are absolutists and, boy, you know, they shouldn't be so absolute. So I tweeted back to Ted Cruz, who actually follows me on Twitter now. Yay, he follows, I guess, some people who correspond with him on Twitter a little bit. But uh, I said this issue of being an absolutist. I mean, if you're an absolutist for justice, I mean, that that's a good thing. Don't be against being an absolutist. Otherwise, 
these are things that you can pretty much get behind. So I'm, I'm wondering, I know people in the chat room said that they don't like crews on immigration. So, uh, Robert, is it the securing the border issue? Is it the amendments to prove, improve legal immigration don't do enough? Is it the issue of the creating the path to citizenship for illegals? You think that they should have a path to citizenship in this bill, and so therefore you disagree with them. What, what is it in this bill? Let's see. So he says, do you know what E-Verify is? I'm wondering. Okay, so E-Verify is something that's discussed in this bill maybe, and that's why he doesn't like Ted Cruz on this. Let me see. I'm trying to find out what Robert says. Uh, Okay, Robert is saying, have I been following this issue for a long time? Uh, not in great detail. I was listening to his particular points. Um, Robert says, why does he pick on lower-skilled immigrants? America needs both in larger number. Now, I believe the second part, Robert, of the amendment that he discussed has to do not just with the high-skilled workers, but also with lower-skilled. So what he says is the high-skilled, he is going to increase their ability to come here as legal residents by five times the number now. And then he wants to double legal immigration overall. So I don't call that picking. I, I do think that this idea that, you know, he's kind of favoring the high skill versus low skill, that's kind of, it's lame. And, and part of it is probably he's buying in partly to what all the Democrats bought into, which is that stupid economic argument that if you bring more low-skilled workers here, that it's going to take the low-skilled jobs from the people here who need them, and then we're going to have all these people starving in the streets. Um, So that could be why. So would I say that it's ideal that this would be exactly the bill that I would write if I was going to be in there? No. Is Ted Cruz probably better than most of the politicians in there in terms of even his stand on immigration? Certainly better than most Republicans on immigration because Republicans uh, tend to be bad. But then again, Ted Cruz this week was quoted as saying he doesn't trust Republicans or Democrats on many issues. So I'm not surprised there. Uh, now, Robert says, uh, making it possible for immigrants to collect welfare. Now, is that the part that you disagree with, Robert? Is that the part that you disagree with? That's what I want to... You you would like immigrants to be able to collect welfare, or you would say make it impossible for them to collect welfare, and then when you do that, go ahead and let them in. Now, see, in today's context, I mean, this is this is the interesting thing, too. Like I said... Um, I was fascinated by Ben Swanger's argument that said that it, it was not a big pull. You know, this this idea of immigration, I mean, excuse me, of welfare was not a big pull for the immigrants. It's not a big deal. It's actually not a magnet like all of us think it would naturally be. Um, if that's true, if it's really not a big issue, I'd like to see some stats and stuff about that. But that would really show that the moral is a practical, that even in today's mixed economy welfare state, that open immigration would be the proper policy. I do have a call here, so I'm going to go ahead and take it. Hi, who's this? Hello? Hi, who's this? It's Ron. Hello? Hello, I can hear you, Amy. Okay. Who is this, please? Uh, I'm on the chat line. You're uh, talking about uh, our, 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 our
you're talking about e-verify and stuff. You know, I've been following this issue for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, can I make my points now? Is it okay? Sure. Hello? Okay. Uh, hello? Yeah. Hello? Can you hear you? Okay, let me take it Okay? Just give me a minute. Mm-hmm. I can hear you now. No, I can hear you. Go ahead and, and tell me what you wanted to say. Uh, first off, I want to say that the main ingredient missing in this immigration bill is uh, is uh, freedom, individual rights. Uh, we have so many uh, restrictions on businesses and individuals on who they can hire, who can, who they can't hire. Now we have a massive uh, bureaucracy now by the government called E-Verify, where basically you ask for permission to work. You know, mm-hmm. they check your social security records with what you are, with your immigration record to see whether you're actually called a legal worker. I mean, what kind of nonsense is that? I mean, if I want to, if I want to contract with somebody from Mexico, from Guatemala, or from the Czech Republic, it's nobody's business. It's right. my company, it's my money, it's my wages. It's between me and the person I'm contracting with, and there shouldn't be there shouldn't be a, a barrier, you know. I have to check somebody's social security record or whatever they want me to do. It's it's ridiculous. We are basically just true, but being you know, Ro- Robert, Robert, uh-huh. that's that's not true only of immigrants, though. That's true of everyone. The the hoops that you have to jump through to hire anybody are are pretty yucky too. Obviously, there's a lot more for immigrants. It, it's really bad, but I would say. In every area of our lives right now, the government just erects a huge mass of, of red tape, and it, it's impossible to start businesses. It's, you know, trying to go to school. Or imagine trying to start a college today and get students and have students be able to get student loans in this country today. You have to go through the federally approved student loans, and then in order to do that, you have to satisfy all sorts of federal restrictions. The U.S. Code is this huge. So, I mean, that is true everywhere. I understand that if there's an issue that you follow very closely, then you're going to be even more sensitive to the horribleness, the overreaching regulations of government and red tape and everything else than than there is, you know. But and and I know that in immigration it's really really bad. But in terms of saying, okay, here is somebody who might be trying to propose amendments to legislation to get it on the path to being a little bit better. I I don't know that I'm gonna to fault Cruz necessarily. What what in what he said and in, in what Cruz said the particular amendments that he proposed did you object to anything there? No, but I think the party they they use the same talking points the left uses. They think everything is a fixed pie. Uh, listen to somebody like Jeff Sessions or the rest of the other people like Steve King in Iowa. What they normally say is I. Uh, Immigrants depress wages; they take your jobs. Guess who uses that that same uh, those same premises? The left does. So they keep on fall, following into the same uh, hole the left wants them to fall into. Like uh, the premises are, the economy is fixed; it's a fixed pie. If I get a job right. here, then somebody else in Rhode Island uh, won't get a job. Right. Right. You know those but, talking points. Know, the, the conservative uh, movement uses those. Those really irritate me. They they get to me because I. I mean it's it's really dumb. It's it's. Stupid. Oh, it, I mean it's 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 purely stupid. It's the same issue as don't send jobs overseas. You know, uh, if you outsource, therefore you're taking jobs away from people here. It's it's the same idea. But you know what 
uh, Cruz says one more he supported. Thing, one more thing. What? Well, just let me say though, but uh, what Cruz, what Cruz okay. said he supported is doubling legal immigration overall, and that all the Democrats opposed it because of a deal with the union leaders, and he called them out because of that. Okay, he said that he, is also he disapproved. True. Yeah. That is also true, but the conservative movement doesn't want also legal immigration to be increased. They don't want that either. Jeff Sessions is against that. A lot of bloggers on the conservative side are completely against that. True. So, true. Yeah. Which means, you know, so you which, see, which, listen, which means they're, you know, it, it's true. And I, and I might have some Tammy Bruce listeners right now listening to me and trying to check out, you know, how is she going to be as a as a guest host? And they might really disagree with me on this issue because I am for phasing in uh, open immigration as well. I mean, obviously, you know, like anything else with changing our horrible mixed economy to the ideal society, we have to be careful how we phase in all of the transition steps between here and freedom. So in, in general, you just think you would like to see more freedom in the legislation than you saw. Yeah, and, and, and secondly, the most important stuff, if you think E-Verify is going to stop illegal immigration uh, into America, so forget about it. People will come here as long as their jobs. The only way you can do this is to have a vibrant guest worker program that people can come in legally. You know, right. all the fences, all the drones in the world won't save this country from that happening. We'll be here again discussing the same issue again in 20 years. It happened in 86, and it's, it's going to happen again because we keep on making the same mistake. We think enforcement, enforcement, enforcement is going to work. You know, right. the other flip side is uh, businesses, uh, if you put all these hoops uh, where businesses have to jump through hoops over and over again, guess what they'll do? Like Microsoft did, they'll just take your jobs to Canada. Yep. You know, they don't have time for this nonsense. They'll just say, "Okay, fine. Okay, you have got all these regulations and laws. Guess what? Nobody gets a job. You're native or immigrant. You're gonna move all our jobs to Asia and Canada." Microsoft did it. You know, they can't access the HD1 visa program. Right. It, it right. runs out pretty fast. So they'll just, you know, move the job to Canada. Simple. No, I I, I agree. I'm gonna have to let you go because I have another call. Thank you for calling. Uh, you know, I, I just want to say maybe we disagree about what is actually politically feasible for them to put out there and at least sort of applaud them for being better than most. I mean, Ted Cruz, like I said, he is better, I think, than most Republicans on the issue of immigration. He sound, sounded pretty common sense in that clip to me. I do have another call. Let me go ahead and take it. I've got a, about a minute on the issue of immigration. Who's this? Uh, this is Robert Maddox from North Dakota. Hi. Hi. Did you want to add something to the issue of immigration? I'm just listening. Oh, you're just listening. Okay, well, thank you. Continue to listen. I appreciate people who want to call in and listen as well. I'll just put you right back on hold there. And that's convenient because I think I'm just about ready to go on to our next topic of internal revenue. So a tool in the chat room says that out of the five amendments proposed by Cruz, one was good, one was mixed, and three were bad. So uh, feel free to tell me the three that were bad. You know, I didn't count five listed in his discussion there. I counted the secure the border, which secure the border, depending on how you do it, could be good or could be bad. There was a list of all sorts of different technologies that some of them might be very scary. Uh, but securing the border, to me, so that you can actually control the influx sounds like a good idea. I don't want terrorists coming here. I don't want diseases or criminals either. Uh, the amendments to improve legal immigration, perhaps imperfect, but sounded like steps in the right 
direction. He talks about two different amendments there, so I counted three. And then the last thing he talked about was don't create a path to citizenship. So that's only four. I don't know what the fifth one was. I didn't count five in that discussion, and I listened to it a few times. So you can let me know which one is the other one that you're discussing that is that is bad. But I thought as far as he went, he was good. He obviously doesn't have a good idea of absolutism. So that's the, the big issue. So that was immigration. As I said, if you want to read a good essay on the issue of open immigration in favor of open immigration, it's Harry Binswanger, and the last name is B-I-N-S-W-A-N-G-E-R. And if you Google that plus immigration, the word immigration, you'll go straight to this essay uh, in favor of open immigration by Ben Swanger. It's, it's really good. On to the next topic, internal revenue. Everybody knows all of the horrible news this week about the Internal Revenue Service and the continuing scandal Lois Lerner, who was, as far as we know, the person at the IRS who signed off on the letters targeting conservative groups who were applying for 501c4 status and putting them through, I mean, talk about hoops you have to jump through. In order for them to get the tax-exempt status, they had to jump through a million more hoops because they had the words Tea Party or Patriot or whatever else in their name. Uh, so, you know, she is a person who was taught, uh, hauled before Congress this week, asked to testify, gave a preamble saying how innocent she was, and then promptly pled the Fifth Amendment. That's convenient. Uh, she said she did nothing wrong. She didn't break the law. But nonetheless, her attorney advised her to go ahead and plead the Fifth Amendment, and then she decides she can leave. There's this whole thing about are they going to call her back? Did she actually waive her Fifth Amendment rights, et cetera? But the more interesting story, perhaps, is that she was put on administrative leave, which means basically paid vacation. And there was a little game going around on Twitter, lowest learner paid vacation ideas. And I put something out there like she should negotiate a contract for a memoir to be published after the statute of limitations is over. So that was a lot of fun to uh, to just speculate as to what she should do on her paid vacation. But an interesting thing that I learned by watching a little video available at WallStreetJournal.com, uh, Steve Moore at the Journal was discussing some of the news of the week. There's a senator by the name of Grassley, I believe is the name, said that Lois Lerner had been asked to resign, but she refused. Now, of course, she should be fired, right? If, if supposedly this conduct is unacceptable to Obama, why isn't she out of there in the first place? She should be fired. Uh, she was asked to resign. She refused. So then they went ahead and gave her the paid vacation. And I understand that her salary plus her benefits amount to a couple hundred thousand, a couple hundred thousand of your tax dollars per year. Um, you know, in other news, we learned that the supposedly the White House attorney uh, and the chief of staff both declined to tell the president anything about the ongoing issues with the IRS targeting. But a, a, an article that I commend to you that I think you should read because it, it debunks this entire argument that we've seen out of the uh, the left this week. Remember, the left this week has been arguing that the reason that they had to subject these Tea Party and other groups to all the special scrutiny, the reason that they had to scramble and figure out how to, quote, you know, fairly 
you know, screen these groups for 501c4 status is because of Citizens United. Oh, it's only because of Citizens United that we had to subject all these groups to special scrutiny. If Citizens United hadn't come out the way that it did, that court case uh, from a couple of years ago, then no problem. You know, we wouldn't have had to do this. There's a writer at the Wall Street Journal by the name of Kimberly Strassel. And May 23rd article entitled, Conservatives Became Targets in 2008. 2008, a couple of years before Citizens United. And in the article, she chronicles the exploits of Bob Bauer, B-A-U-E-R, who was the general counsel for Obama's campaign and later general counsel for the White House. And it discusses how he went about targeting some of the groups that supported Hillary Clinton and John Edwards during the campaign, um, and then also went on to target some of the conservative groups. In particular, she talks about the American Issues Project, who ran an ad highlighting the ties between Obama and Bill Ayers. Bill Ayers, of course, the terrorist formerly of the Weather Underground, with whom Obama was a friend, and nobody liked to be talking about that at the time he was uh, getting elected. Anyway, the Obama campaign people, Bob Bauer in particular, went after the donors to the American Issues Project, threatening them with all sorts of things. And then it t discusses that Bauer was behind sending to all sorts of conservative groups, donors to conservative groups, warnings that if they contributed to the conservative groups, that they would be the target of the Justice Department and all sorts of horrible things, etc. So this was going on way back in 2008, this idea that it happened only after the Citizens United ruling, and then, of course, it was just a mistake, an honest mistake on the part of the people at the White, not the White House, the, uh, the IRS, you know, trying to sort through all of these 501c4 applications, totally, totally bogus. Uh, interesting and ominous ending to this piece by Strassel. She says, if the country wants to get to the bottom of the IRS scandal, it must first remember the context for this abuse. That context leads to the White House, end quote. It's about Obama. And yeah, it would be nice if we get to see more and more testimony and the roads keep leading closer and closer to Obama. Apparently, the White House attorney and the chief of staff are going to be hauled before Congress to testify. And then the speculation is, well, what if they plead the Fifth Amendment? And if they do, this whole scandal completely blows up. But do people care? People have been talking about, you know, popularity polls and stuff this week. Who knows? But um, on the other side, side of internal revenue and the other reason I included it as a topic that was just kind of giving you an update and everybody knows I mean you know we don't believe in the IRS we think the IRS should be abolished and if you're an objectivist if you agree with Rand you believe that in a proper society which someday decades from now hopefully we could get to in that society taxes would be voluntary you would not be forced to pay taxes at the point of a gun you would pay taxes as part of making an enforceable contract in business dealings or a variety of other things and you could fund all the proper functions of government police courts and mil uh, courts and military through a voluntary taxation system so this would all be out of there but we particularly don't like an IRS who infringes on our free speech rights. And how do they do that? It's because these conservative groups is the only way that you can get your message out these days through these tax-exempt groups, why you have to compete with the liberal groups that do the same thing. That's 
the you know the way that this horrible mixed economy tweaked by the internal revenue code has has operated so that's you know what you do if you want to speak and get your message out you band with other people together in these 501c4 groups and if they restrict access to that they're in effect restricting speech in today's context so that's what they do um we obviously hate this, and I'm just kind of giving you an update. I think all of us who listen to this show feel the same way about it. Uh, but one thing I wanted to play you as just a bit of good news on the issue of internal revenue, so-called internal revenue, i.e. taxes, extorted from you at the point of a gun, is Rand Paul. You may know this week that there was an, a hearing in front of a Senate committee about the issue of profits being moved offshore by companies who want to avoid paying exorbitant tax rates on those profits. And Apple has been chastised for a while in the media for being very smart about how it allocates the profits and therefore its tax burden. And even though it is not suspected of doing anything illegal, it's doing everything within the law to minimize its taxes, and it was being hauled before uh, the Senate to discuss this. Why? Because you're supposed to think, oh, it's so horrible that they make all these profits and they don't pay as much taxes on them as as they could. And uh, then you're supposed to say, well, let's change the law so that they aren't able to do that. They can't shift their profits offshore. So why don't we listen to Rand Paul addressing his fellow committee members there on the Senate? Frankly, I'm offended by the tone and tenor of this hearing. I'm offended by a $4 trillion government bullying, berating, and badgering one of America's greatest success stories. You know, tell me one of these politicians up here who doesn't minimize their taxes. Tell me a a chief financial officer that you would hire if he didn't try to minimize your taxes legally. Tell me what Apple's done that is illegal. I'm offended by a government that uses the IRS to bully tea parties, but I'm also offended by a government that convenes a hearing to bully one of America's greatest success stories. I'm offended by the spectacle of dragging in executives from an American company that is not doing anything illegal. If anyone should be on trial here, it should be Congress. I frankly think the committee should apologize to Apple. I think that the Congress should be on trial here for creating a bizarre and Byzantine tax code that runs into the tens of thousands of pages for creating a tax code that simply doesn't compete with the rest of the world. This committee will admit that Apple hasn't broken any laws, yet we are forced to sit, and Apple is forced to sit through a show trial at the whims of politicians, when in fact Congress should be on trial for chasing the profits of great American companies overseas. We haul before this committee one of America's greatest success stories, and you want applause? I say instead of Apple executives, we should have brought in here today a giant mirror, okay? So we could look at the reflection of Congress, because this problem is solely and completely created by the awful tax code. If you want to assign blame, the committee needs to look in this mirror and see who created the mess. See who created this tax code that is chasing American companies overseas. Our corporate tax code is double Canada's. I never thought I'd be complimenting Canada for their tax code. Ours is double Canada, double a lot of Europe. 
instead of complaining that ours, theirs is too low, why don't we set about to work that ours is too high? Apple has 600,000 jobs they've created, American jobs, and we want to drag them before this committee to chastise them? I find it abominable. Just in my state, we have $700 million in sales from Dow Corning. They make the Gorilla Glass. They were virtually out of business. In the 1990s, Apple struggled. If I had to guess, unfortunately, it was a, I didn't guess enough to invest in Apple, but the thing is is that in the 90s, people were worried they might go out of business. You know, they had one computer wasn't doing well, and then all of a sudden the innovation that came about, and we want to bring them forward and chastise them for their success. A couple of years ago, we did repatriation of foreign capital. If we want the capital to come home, don't double tax it. We tax it at 35%. Let's tax it at 5%. I have a bill that would repatriate profits from foreign companies at 5% and put it into infrastructure. Our country is woefully short of money for infrastructure. But you're not going to get it at 35%. You're getting zero. Let's make it 5% and create an infrastructure fund. There are probably 70 votes for that bill in Congress, but nobody will bring it up. Why? They say, oh, it's the sweetener for overall tax reform, which is elusive and a hill too tall to climb and never seems to get here. Why not tomorrow pass it? Why do you think people are frustrated with Congress? Because we don't do the right thing. Everybody admits, even those who want to drag Apple before this committee, they admit that our tax code's part of the problem, that if we had repatriation at 5%, that they would bring money home. Why don't we just pass it? Instead, it has to be revenue neutral, scored by the CBO. Just pass it if it's the right thing to do. I would say that what we really need to do is apologize to Apple, compliment them for the job creation they're doing, and get about doing our job. Look in the mirror and let's make the tax code better, fairer, and uh, more competitive worldwide. Money goes where it's welcome. Currently, our tax code makes money not welcome in this country. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you. So what did you think of that? I thought that was excellent. A lot of that was sent out via Twitter, and I hadn't realized that it was exactly the content of his remarks that was going out on Twitter until I later saw the video. Yeah, I was hanging out too long on Twitter this one day this week. Let's see in the chat room. We're getting some very good reactions to this. Robert in the chat room is saying much what I suspected, and I think I tweeted it out this week, which was that now that Steve Jobs is gone, This is Robert's language here. He says, Apple is a fat carcass to be pounced on by today's fascists. Yeah, that was my idea. They figure Steve Jobs, I mean, Steve Jobs was a liberal. I don't think he was a total, total leftist, but he was definitely a liberal. He supported Obama, even though he had problems with him, judging by what I read in his biography. But nonetheless, I don't think that Steve Jobs would have stood for the kind of treatment that Apple got this week in the Senate. I don't even know if the Senate would have dared to haul Steve Jobs before them. Now that he's dead, they're like, oh, yeah, let's just go. And uh, it's like the vultures coming in to, to, to grab at it, like, like Robert was saying there. Now, Brian in the chat room says, he says, there's even a worse aspect of this, he says, which is that if Apple or any other company is not actually, he says, actually that Apple, not if, but that Apple or any other company is not held to account with respect to the actual law, and instead is held to a standard of doing what the government likes. Yeah, that's true. I mean, any of the laws in this country, you know, you hear this from people who in particular work in the financial services industry. For every law that says do A, there's another law that says do non-A. 
And I'm sure that's true of the tax code and all the horrible regulations under the tax code as well. Um, you know, the, and, and he, he's talking about Brian also in the chat room. And he says the IRS scandal right now is pretty much the same thing. He says they don't need to pass a law that makes it illegal to speak out against the government if they can audit and abuse people if they do. Right. And, yeah, there may not be any particular thing in the regulations that say don't do this. But nonetheless, they just do it when they feel like it. They don't do it and they get away with what they can. It's a, it's not that it's illegal. Obviously, politically, it's a, it's a bad thing to do. And they love the idea of having the power and saying, oh, but we're so good. We don't exercise the power in a bad way. And that's where we're at with so many functions of government right now. I do have a, a call, and I'm going to go ahead and take it here. Hi, who's this? Hi, Amy. It's Robert. Hi, Robert. So uh, what did you think of hauling Apple before the Senate to make them apologize for their success? Well, I thought the speech was, was the way I thought it was so unique, and I think definitely this is Ayn Rand's influence. Rand Paul asked Congress to apologize to Apple, and or said they should. He didn't ask. He said they should. And I don't think I've ever heard that before. I, I don't think I've ever heard someone in politics tell Congress that they should actually apologize to a business because everyone is so anti-business. And I just think that's that's incredible. So I'm happy about that. Right. No, I think it's excellent. Now, Stephanie in the chat room points out something that's worth noting, although it's, it's a fairly minor issue. He talks about instead of taxing the profits that are repatriated, you know, brought back to the United States, uh, tax them at 35%, which I guess is the current rate. Let's tax them at 5% and create this fund for infrastructure. Ideally, you're going to not tax them at all, or you're going to tax them in some way that's voluntary. Probably the tax that's voluntary would amount to about that 5% amount, though. So, eh, you know, maybe it, it, would, it would be okay. But, uh, you know, is that ideal? No. I mean, obviously, Rand Paul is working within the current legal system to suggest something that is radically better than anybody else is suggesting out there. So for that, we give him a lot of credit. But we especially give him credit, like you were saying, Robert. You just don't hear things like this out there. Uh, you know, speeches given by politicians like the ones that Rand Paul sometimes gives. And, and this one's particularly excellent. He was excellent on the topic of privacy and some aspects of the Patriot Act as well. So, mm -hmm. And didn't he just say about abolishing the IRS as well? Did he make oh, that he, I, I, you know, I I think he's probably behind that as well. Both he and huh. Ted Cruz, Ted Cruz, Ted and Cruz. probably, yeah, I think Mike Lee tends to join in on stuff that they do as well. But they, uh, Ted Cruz said he wants to abolish the IRS, make make taxes quote flatter and fairer. You know, that's not right. perfect, but it's better. And right. and he wants he wants your tax return to be able to put be put on a postcard. That alone, if you could put your tax return on a postcard and we're not talking like you know i've got in my uh on my shelf i've got the compact oxford english dictionary that requires a magnifying glass to read so we're not talking Same a one. postcard <laughs> we're not talking that right but but we're talking a, a, a real postcard that can be viewed by people without magnifying glasses right um uh -huh. if you could if you could do that i mean that would just save i don't even know billions of dollars and and so much of our time where, you know, time is money or, yeah, yeah. So, mm -hmm. um, so, so kudos to Rand Paul on, on your count as well. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And John McCain is even more disgusting, uh, 
as a result of this. I mean, the guy's always been pathetic politically, and he just shows he's just an embarrassment. He's an embarrassment. Well, and, and <clears throat> yeah, he's he, he's totally anti-Tea Party, and and he has the audacity to look at people like Rand Paul and Ted Cruz and say that they, they who are arguing for more freedom, you know, not always perfect, but arguing in this context for a lot more freedom than any of the other guys are, right? He he calls mm -hmm. them he calls them bullies. Yeah. Yeah. That's projectionism from a from a lifelong statist. Yeah. And 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 of course Ted Cruz is having a lot of fun with that. He's, you know, saying, "Well, I guess there's a lot more bullies in the Senate than we thought." Ha ha. I guess some developments are going on there. But this is it is really kind of fun to watch things play out in the Senate right now. I never really used to be that interested in what's going on, but it seems like things might actually change for the better in the Senate if we can keep the momentum going in the right direction. Mhm. Mm yeah. Yeah, I agree. I agree. This is this is definitely encouraging. This was this was a uh, 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 like you said last week, it was a bad week for the bad guys, at mm -hmm. least from Rand and Paul's position and Ted Cruz. It was a good week for the good guys. Yeah, I, I like it. I'll take good week for the good guys. So I'm going to go ahead and go on to my topic of idiocy here, Robert. So thank you for calling in about the Im immigration issue. Let me get to it right away. You'll see what I'm talking about here in a second. So I've got an article from NewYorker.com. And it's uh, May 18th is the date. It's by Andy Borowitz. It says, the headline is, Obama denies role in government. And here's the article. It says, President Obama used his weekly radio address on Saturday, so this is last Saturday, to reassure the American people that he has, quote, played no role whatsoever, end quote, in the U.S. government over the past four years. And then this is, again, quoting from Obama. Right now, many of you are angry at the government. And no one is angrier than I am, he said. Quite frankly, I am glad that I have had no involvement in such an organization, end quote. The article goes on and says, the president's outrage only increased, he said, when he, quote, recently became aware of a part of that government called the Department of Justice, end quote. He says, quote, the more I learn about the activities of these individuals, the more certain I am that I would not want to be associated with them, he said. They sound like bad news. Mr. Obama closed his address by indicating that beginning next week, he would enforce what he called a, quote, zero tolerance policy on governing. Quote, if I find that any members of my administration have had any intimate knowledge of or involvement in the workings of the United States government, they will be dealt with accordingly, end quote, he said. Is Obama an idiot or what? This is the idiocy. Obama is an idiot for him to say, I mean, he's the president of the United States. How can he deny Ha, 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 people. Okay, sorry. I did that to you. Um, yeah, I call it idiocy because I'm going to call Obama an idiot. But, yes, this is a satire. Stephanie in the chat room said she saw that and she recognized it was a satire. The funny thing, and I think idiocy, I'm taking liberties by calling it idiocy, but I was surprised by the number of people this week who thought this was real. They actually thought that Obama's response to the scandal, and I mean, of course, you know, it's a satire based on a kernel of truth. And the kernel of truth is that Obama was saying, oh, I had no knowledge of the IRS doing this. I had no knowledge of the Department of Justice subpoenaing 
or, um, you know, getting a warrant to get the phone records of reporters from Fox News or whatever, uh, the phone records from the people at AP, right? That was the first one, the Associated Press scandal that came out. You know, Obama just says, well, you know, and, and if you believe Jay Carney, Jay Carney is, is his spokesman, uh, Obama just learns about it in the news just like everybody else. He reads about it there. So this particular satire from the New Yorker called the Borowitz Report, I guess always has some satire. Uh, it's based on the truth. But the thing was, I mean, just like the onion, sometimes you'll post a story from the onion and some people will take it seriously. People took this seriously. And I thought, okay, Obama's bad. Yes, let's criticize him. He's definitely bad. But don't, you know, make some sort of a straw man out of a satire and, and take that seriously and think that he would actually say this. So, uh, no, is it, I mean, is it really being an idiot to do it? But I mean, it, it, it's, it's kind of stretching it because, uh, yeah, that's not really Obama. So that's idiocy. Now, it, of course, I did think about the fact that idiocy could apply to so many news stories this week that I could have had an entire show entitled Idiocy. So, for example, the Anthony Weiner candidacy, he's running for mayor of New York, even though, in his own words, in his stupid YouTube video, he says, you know, I've made my mistakes and everything. And then apparently he's also quoted as saying that there might be even more pictures out there than the ones that we've already seen of his junk, as it might euphemistically be referred to. Um, how does somebody who has all these embarrassing photos and made such a stupid jerk of himself decide he's going to run for the mayor of New York and think that he actually has a shot at it? I don't know. Uh, Cuomo, for his, uh, you know, just to, to give him credit, said that it would be crazy if they did that. Um other things about idiocy. Uh, it would be, I think, idiotic, for instance, of someone in the British government to say that there is nothing in Islam that justifies the attacks in London this week, actually the attack, the horrible attack that I, is unmentionable to me. I'm not even going to repeat uh, the thing that happened. But you have these guys on video because the people on the streets went ahead and complied with the horrible jihadis request and, and videoed them. They said, and you have to take them at their word, that they were doing it because of the Quran and Islam. So what else do you want there? And then, uh, I mean, what what about having the IRS administer Obamacare and in particular having uh, you know, the person, the very person at the IRS who's behind the scandals administer Obamacare. That is, that is horrible. So um, Robert in the chat room says, why didn't I cover the attacks in London? It, it, it's horrible. I think a lot of people uh, have already seen everything that needs to be said. If you want to watch uh, the five and red eye this week were excellent on the attacks on London. I don't know if I have much to add to it, except for that. I think uh, the difference in terminology uh, there. Now, I think this is Bosch. Bosch, I've got about 90 seconds. Did you have something quick? Yeah. You know what? Basically, you covered it. It was about the, uh, the uh, you know, Obama is so bad. Why the hell? You know, but he's worse than he actually is. Like, he's terrible. You know I mean? Right. About about that article, people say, I can't believe no, it. No. Who can't believe it? Exactly. Exactly. I mean, yeah. I, I, I was really surprised about that. So, yeah, so that was terrible. it? Yeah, that's it. That's it. Okay. Okay, thanks. I'm going to go ahead and wrap up the show and uh, 
Thank you for thank you for calling in and, and contributing there. So if you would like to comment on this show, you go to my blog at don'tletitgo.com and leave a comment there. You can either follow the blog if you want. You can follow the Don't Let It Go Unheard Facebook page. You follow me on Twitter, Amy Peacock, Blog Talk Radio. There's a little follow button, anything you want. Uh, at the blog, you can also find a link there, and that will allow you to contribute to the show. Several people have already contributed very generously. I thank you for that. And remember, you will get recordings of my Tammy Bruce fill-ins if you leave a contribution for this show. The podcast won't be available otherwise unless you are a contributor either to her or to my show. Uh, The other thing you can do at the blog is under the Amy tab, you can read about my bio, get information about having me come to uh, speak at your event. Uh, And most importantly, if you like the show, spread the word. Thanks, everyone. Have a good evening, and I will talk to you Thursday. Thursday. Have a good night.